0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm not sure if I, I can't remember if I introduced myself before. My name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Hills Baptist Uh, It's great to be with you. We're continuing our series, actually concluding our series today in what we need to lead. Looking at the life and leadership of Solomon and thinking, what does that have to teach us? What happened? What went so wrong? How did we get here? From... God saying, I hear you. You can have whatever you ask of me, accepting my sacrifices, accepting the the temple I've built for him, to now God being angry, fierce against me. How did we get here? From Israel building the temple of God and God actually accepting that and dwelling physically with his people in the temple to the kingdom being split in two and God leaving and Israel being exiled, fractured as a country. The people of God, how did it get there? That's the big question that's raised in uh and kind of like investigated in these the last few chapters of Solomon's life, um, and the, the the big question of today's message: How how did Solomon fall? What happened? How did we get here? We can even relate ourselves when we do things that we we know we're not meant to do. We find ourselves uh, our relationships in tatters. We uh, We find ourselves living a life that we never really wanted. How do we get there? God, who we used to feel so close to, and now we feel like there's no way I could pray or say anything to him. There's no way he would say anything to me. How do we get into places like that? What we're looking at um, today is the last 20 years of Solomon's reign um, and life. And we've seen already uh, Solomon, the the handover from David to Solomon that was mixed, if you remember that. And then Solomon, God giving Solomon an option, he could ask for whatever he wanted in the kingdom. And instead of asking for riches or success or for all his problems to go away, he asked for what he needed to lead Israel well. And that was a discerning heart, an understanding heart to discern right. From wrong, he asked for wisdom. Then we saw uh, Solomon's greatest achievement, building the temple and all the the, the, the meaning and theology and um, and purpose behind that, the very building with which God would dwell with his people. And we saw Solomon leading Israel in prayer, praying Uh, for the dedication of the temple and all that that would represent to Israel, the presence of God, but also justice and healing and hope and mercy and and a mission to the nations. We saw God accepting that prayer, dwelling on the temple, uh, moving into the temple, declaring all the promises that will come if Israel and if Solomon is faithful, but also warning what would happen if they're not. And then in uh, 9 verse uh, 10, uh, it turns the page to the next 20 years of Solomon's life. At the end of 20 years, during which Solomon built these two buildings, the temple and the royal palace, and then moves on to what's next. And so uh, uh, I won't go into – it won't take 20 years to go through his life. We won't be nearly that long. But just a quick summary of the last couple of decades and then focusing in on what the author focuses on and and highlights as as what really went wrong. So from uh, just really skimming nine and ten – uh, the author gives a summary of the last things uh, that that Solomon did in the last twenty years. Gives a political su- uh, summary. So um, Solomon uh, first the I think it's sixty tons of gold that he got from uh, Hiram. He gives him uh, cities, and um, Solomon being a bit sly, a bit conniving, he gives him all the bad cities. So when Hiram comes to check him out, he's like, well, "These cities are worthless, useless." So Solomon, there is this political. Um, uh, summary, and then also uh, a social summary. He shares about um, the labor that he conscripted, that he wouldn't conscript his own people into uh, into slavery, um, uh, but he would do the foreigners who were left in the land and and that kind of thing. It also talks about how he finished and built the palace for the Egyptian, his Egyptian wife. And I wonder for all the Israelites in the room, looking at the palace that he'd built uh, his, his Egyptian wife, a foreigner, that's even bigger than the temple, what would they have thought and felt about that? It gives a bit of a religious update. Uh, Solomon sacrifices three times a year at the, fest- uh, the various festivals, um, fulfilling the minimum requirement uh, for um, temple attendance for the year. We'll come back to that. Bit of a relational update, Queen Sheba visits, uh, so kind of like a big celebrity visits at the time uh, and is just amazed at Solomon's wisdom far beyond anyone else in the world, just phenomenal. His wisdom, his insight, and also an economic update the The last bit of chapter ten kind of outlines the the extent of Solomon's wealth and all the gold and and horses and uh, precious stones and all these things that Solomon um, had a, had uh, hoarded and 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 amassed amassed for himself. And there's this this glowing report of of setting Solomon up as this successful, powerful king. But then at at the turn of the chapter, the beginning of chapter 11, the author moves on to what's really important. How do we assess Solomon's leadership? It's not by, how by how much gold he has. So we've been saying throughout this whole series is, will he walk with the Lord? And so that's where we're going to zoom in and, and focus on. And on the whole, this passage kind of speaks for itself for the failure and how Solomon falls. So, if you have a Bible, do open it up to uh, One Kings chapter eleven, and we'll have a read of this. It's going to be on the screen as well. King Solomon, however, however, King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. The Moabites. The Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. They were from nations uh, about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts to their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives, 700 <laughs> of royal birth and 300 concubines. It's a thousand. So, like, if, if you imagine one a night, then you'd see someone have a nice date night, and then, all right, see you in a couple of years. Like, it's <laughs> crazy. But the real kicker and his wives led him astray. These foreign wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, just like God said they would. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Molech, the detestable god of the Anamanites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a place for uh, Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifice to their gods. We see a spiral of, of Disobeying God's law, and it started with he breaks uh, he breaks uh, the law that God had given um, for marriage for the Israelites. God had said, "Don't marry foreign wives or foreign women because they'll turn your hearts away from the Lord." But he breaks that. Then he breaks the law given to kings about marriage. In Deuteronomy 17, it says very clearly, "Do not have like kings must not have many wives." And a thousand, uh, 700 is his many wives. And then he breaks the first commandment. You must have no other gods beside me, says God. And he worships other gods. Even worse than that, he builds altars for them. And it's, 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 it's backwards what's happening because normally in ancient times, kings would have to be forced to worship the gods of nations that they conquered. Sorry, kings would be forced to worship the gods of nations that conquered them. But here, Solomon is worshiping the gods of nations that he has conquered. It's backwards. It's wrong. It, and so he, he builds, he worships... Um, uh, it mentions a few of these gods, the Chemosh and um, uh, Ashtareth and Molech. And Ash- Ashtoreth or Astra is the sex goddess of the Sidonites, the fertility god. And considering how many wives he has, it's no surprise that he worships a sex god. But also um, uh, there's Milcom, Molech, uh, and it's it named a, a few different ways in the passage. But that's a god um, of the Ammonites. They required human sacrifices. like, like this, is, this is not just you know casual idol worship on the side. This is deep, horrific stuff that Solomon not only allows, that he facilitates how did we get here? How do we get there? There's three things that would would tear down any leader. Three things that all leaders or rulers or all people are vulnerable to. That's uh, lust, greed, and pride. Lust, greed, and pride. We can all think of examples where one or more of those things have uh, caused a leader to go astray or fall or go into Some really horrible acts. And these three things are celebrated by the world. You know, sexual freedom, sexual expression, and um, uh, materialism. Let's get as much as we can so we can fulfill our lives as much as we want. And pride, being uh, proud of our own achievements and goals. and, And, you know, we can do it. It's the powers within ourselves these things are celebrated the world and we're all vulnerable to these things. But ultimately, any act uh, of lust or greed or pride is an act of sacrifice to an idol, and that's ourselves. That we'd set aside God's law, that we'd set aside God's heart or God's will and say, I know better, or I deserve this, or I can't be bothered doing it your way. We'll talk more about what leads Solomon into these sins, but let's for now let's continue how does God respond to Solomon's fall? From verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, whom I have chosen. God will tear the kingdom away from Solomon. Only the promise given to David, his father, keeps Solomon on the throne. So unlike Solomon, who promised to walk in the ways of the Lord, and failed that promise, God keeps his promises. And what we see after this passage, God raises up opposition against Solomon. For, for up till now, it's just been all success and, and prosperity and, and, and victory in the battlefield. But then God raises up uh, Rezon uh, up against um, Solomon. And then he also raises up uh, Jeroboam, who will eventually take the kingdom away from his son Rehoboam, the man who will eventually divide the nation. And then the kingdom of Israel is split between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And if you want to know more about that, and it's a fascinating story, an incredibly important story to know in the history of the Bible, I'd really encourage you to check out uh, BSF. Virginia gave a notice about it last week, uh, but... um, a great Bible study, and they're going through the detail of what happens to the kingdom of Israel. If you've got time, Tuesday mornings, and you're a woman, you can join the women's class. Uh, If you're a guy, there's men's class Monday nights. Um, uh, But they're a great opportunity to, to get more familiar and learn and hear from God in the details of how the kingdom split. And where's the hope in that? Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. So Solomon, with all of his achievements, with all of his wisdom, with all of the resources of his kingdom and everything that he had at his disposal, he was not invulnerable to sin. He was not above it. And you and me, with everything we've achieved, with everything we have to show for ourselves, with everything we have at our disposal, we are not invulnerable to sin. We're not immune to sin. So what led Solomon down this path? What, where did it all go wrong? In, in studying and reading this, uh, this passage and, and the, the whole story of Solomon, uh, there's a few things I noticed, three key things that I uh, picked up. And the first one is that there's a lack of voices in Solomon's life. A lack of voices. Uh, King David had the prophet Nathan. That even when David sinned quite horrifically, there was Nathan who came and convicted of him of that. And David listened to him and repented. and, And Nathan was there at Solomon's coronation and the handover. But then after that, there's no mention of Nathan. Where are the prophets and where are the elders also not mentioned In Solomon's life. Who is there to keep him accountable, to provide counsel, to remind him what his role as king is to be? That's the next thing I noticed, is that Solomon was not in the Word. He was not reading the law of the Lord. We're not told this explicitly, but it becomes quite apparent, I think, Because Solomon was required uh, to read the law, like his scriptures, daily. Deuteronomy uh, 17, it'll be on the screen, says, uh, the the law, the command is given to to kings is when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, like make his own copy of the law. Imagine writing out the whole Bible by hand for yourself. Or say the first five books, because that's what Solomon would have had to do. Big task. But how fulfilling that would be. It's taken from the Levitical priest. It is to be with him and he is to read it all of the days of his life, that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over the kingdom of Israel. He's reminded again and again throughout his life that this is what he needs to be doing, to be reading the law, to be following the law. It came up in, uh, during his coronation and during David's handover to him in 2, 1 to 4. It came again in 3 verse 14 when God spoke specifically to Solomon. It came up in uh, 6 11 to 13, while Solomon was building the temple, God reminded him, You must follow in my ways. It came again when God uh, descended into the temple in 9, 1 to 9. Again and again, Solomon is reminded, You need to be listening to the law. You need to be following the law. But again and again and again, he disobeys the law. And it starts with small and what we might consider insignificant laws, like marrying an Egyptian woman. Or getting lots of horses. That was forbidden for kings, but that Solomon did that. Or amassing lots of wealth. What's, what's so bad about having a whole heap of stuff to enjoy? Marrying lots of wives. And then worshipping other gods. Solomon was obviously not in the war. Because he kept on moving further and further away from it. I said before, he did the bare minimum of sacrificial requirements. It mentioned in chapter 9 that he visited the temple three times a year uh, to do the sacrifices. And they were most likely the three festivals that the Israelites had every year. And you, you can't call someone a man of the temple if they just visit, you know, Christmas and Easter. Like, like that's the equivalent. That. Solomon, who is, who's meant to be as God's chosen one leading Israel, uh, someone who's meant to have their heart after the Lord, turned towards the Lord, to only come and, and approach him three times a year, only when it's required of him, that's not a living and intimate relationship with God. And in fact, God audibly spoke to Solomon twice, That that, that happens incredibly rare throughout history and and it's quite rare in Scripture for God to specifically, audibly talk to someone. But that happens to Solomon twice. And so Solomon has the opportunity to develop a, a deep, abiding relationship with God in which he could hear God's voice and walk with him in the Word. But Solomon was caught up with the world and neglected to hear God's voice in the Word. There was lack of voices. Solomon wasn't in the word. And the third thing, there was unchecked weaknesses. Unchecked weaknesses. Solomon, uh, with all of his wisdom and success, he had obvious weaknesses. Like the, one of the key ones seemed to be this Egyptian queen he married very early on in his, in his life, in his kingship. You know, he built the biggest palace, the biggest building... Not for God, but for his queen, this foreigner. in fact, someone who was, he was technically not allowed to marry at all. And it's not like he was forced to do that. He didn't have to build her the biggest palace, but he did. There's an obvious weakness, and then that's just indulged when we see... Solomon marrying all kinds of women from all kinds of different nations. But even aside from that, Solomon's excessive wealth and success led him to become complacent, entitled, arrogant, indulgent. I read back, looking like Solomon absolutely credits God for his throne, and he repeats it again and again, that God kept his promise in giving Solomon uh, the throne. But Solomon never actually gives thanks to God for his wealth or his wisdom. He never gives God credit for the success he sees as a king, just that he is king. And his greed and his lust... And his pride is left unchecked. In fact, it's indulged. And what leads him down a path to a place where you can't imagine, like Solomon at the beginning of his reign, where he promises to follow in the ways of the law, he could never imagine what he'd end up doing. So what can we learn from Solomon's life? How... How can we not fall away? How can we not follow down that same path? How can we remain walking with the Lord for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, the rest of our lives? And I think it's let's look at the the weaknesses of Solomon and let's turn them into strengths. The first is listen to voices. Listen to voices. Actually create voices in our lives who can speak into our lives. Do we have someone in our life who cares more about me as a person than my performance? Who cares how I interact with people? Who cares uh, how my relationship with God is rather than how how great sermons I'm doing or am I successful at work or am I delivering what I need to be delivering? There's other ways of, of finding voices to speak into our lives. There's things like uh, finding a mentor or, or someone who can uh, guide us and ask questions of us. There's um, life groups, a group of people who do life together, who actually gather around God's Word and, and hear that teaching and then challenge each other and encourage each other and pray for each other. So if you're not in a life group, our desire as a leadership is that everyone is in a life group of some sort. And so if you're interested in getting involved, come uh, speak to me or Claire or um, really any, anyone on the leadership. But just to share, like for me, like I, I recognise that I'm in a leadership position and I am vulnerable to all these things. Like, like Solomon, I'm, you know, I don't want to think myself above being tempted by sin or any of that. So just to share that I, um, I, meet up, I meet up with Nigel fortnightly and he, he speaks into my life and encourages me and asks uh, questions of me. I really value that. I, um, I have two other uh, pastors that I meet with regularly that I'm very vulnerable with and, and all of us together share how things are going and where our struggles are and praying for each other. I have a, um, as part of the accreditation process as a Baptist pastor, I have a supervisor who checks in and kind of makes sure I'm taking care of all you well, uh, but also taking care of myself well. I've got the elders uh, where every elders meeting, um, we have a time where I share how I'm going and um, and, and, and we're sure about all of us, but... There's a specific time where um, I'm being checked. Uh, And then I have my wife, who really is is the most, aside from God, is the most important voice in my life to keep me in check, but also to to encourage and and spur me on. I've also got Dave, who as senior pastor, I report to, and we talk about all kinds of stuff, but there are voices in my life to help me keep me on track to tell me when i'm going left or right from the word and it's important who are the voices in your life particularly if if you're in any kind of leadership who are the voices in your life that care more about you as a person than your performance the next thing is be in the word Solomon clearly wasn't. We clearly need to be. Are we being formed by the Word of God or are we being formed by the world? Because it is effectively one or the other. Do we realize that we, we, we have the opportunity to have a living relationship with God, a deep abiding relationship with God where we can hear His voice through the pages of Scripture? Scripture? Something I heard recently that really convicted me, I still need to make change on, so here's a bit of accountability for me. But something I heard recently is, if it isn't in the diary, it's not a priority. If it isn't in the diary, it's not a priority. If you're not actually physically setting aside time for something, you can't call it a priority in your life. And I I think that applies to so many different things. Uh, Family time and... Uh, self-care and all kinds of things, but is, is a time set aside for listening to God in my diary, in my calendar, in my planner? Because with, with how hectic life is for everyone, it doesn't just happen. You don't like trip and fall and open a Bible and end up studying it. Like, <laughs> at least that never happens to me. We need to make time. We need to make it a priority. It's also really helpful to read in community, which is another great opportunity to plug life groups or like to to study God's word together, to listen together. Or even um, something I've been doing with a few different people is reading one-on-one or in a small group meeting. Uh, I've been meeting with a couple of the elders uh, fortnightly, uh, Tuesday mornings before work. And we've just been reading through Philippians and then one John just a little bit at a time and just hearing what God has to say. Is there a couple of people you could do that with? Meeting up, reading, hearing God's word, keeping you on track. The next thing is checking our weaknesses, being real and honest about where our weaknesses are. And and that might involve setting boundaries. Like, are we willing to recognize there are some things we just should not indulge? Are there situations that we need to avoid? being real and honest about those things. Thinking about our success, are we grateful for it? Do we recognise where that success comes from? Do we have practices to give thanks to God, to remind ourselves that this is not from me, but the Lord who provides? I'm not entitled to this. Are we finding ourselves justifying sin? that it's okay because I'm really tired just this once or I've done so much good I'm, in, I'm, I'm entitled to this little slip up. What will tear down a leader I said before is sex, pride or greed. One or more of those three. Are we vulnerable to any of those? Do we need to Set boundaries? Do we need to talk to someone? Do we need to have accountability in those areas? To be accepted by God, we need to remain faithful to God. That was what was required of Solomon. That's what required of, of all God's people. But can I tell you something? None of us have been faithful. None of us have have lived a life that's worthy of the presence of God, of the relationship with God. All of us have failed. So what are we to do? A really important thing to observe from the story of Solomon is that even though Solomon was not faithful, God was. God was. Because of the promise God had given David, Solomon was able to remain uh, in his, on his throne, uh, and because of the promise given to David, even though the nation will be ter- torn apart from Solomon, uh, one, um, not the whole kingdom, one tribe, for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem, whom I've been chosen, will remain in the bloodline of Solomon, in the bloodline of David, because there is a king who has been promised and prophesied who would be eternal king. God sends a king who does walk in the way of the Lord, who fulfills the law and fulfills the sacrificial requirements, who pays the debt for our hearts turning away. And when Jesus was on the cross and he, had, he shouted something out, he didn't shout out, I've done my bit, now it's time for you to step up. He didn't shout out, okay, now you live a better life so that you're worthy of what I've done here. No, he shouts out, it is finished. It is done. The work required for us to have a relationship with God, the work required for God to dwell amongst his people has been completely finished in the work that Jesus did, dying on a cross and rising again. Jesus has done everything necessary to pay for the sin and the rebellion we've harbored in our hearts. We're not bound by those things. We have been set free. So as God's people, saved, redeemed, forgiven, we need to get good at confession, sharing about our weaknesses, sharing our vulnerabilities And resting in the fact that we are forgiven, that it is finished. And Jesus is the one who's finished it. Walking with God. We do that by setting our eyes on Jesus. Now, I want to take a moment to step back and actually reflect on the community I have in front of me. And recognize that there are some people, there are many people here who have been faithfully following the Lord for many years with all kinds of challenges, with heartbreak, with doubts, with crises, with a whole range of different scenarios and and struggles and suffering, yet have remained faithful and are here today, here to encourage the rest of us and and. I just want to say, I I really value that. We value that. We love the the example that's been shown us. And I would also say that these people who've remained faithful, uh, they would be the first to say it's not because of their effort or they figured out that secret formula of how to stick at it as a Christian. It's because Jesus has done everything necessary for them to, to be in a relationship with God to keep them in the faith. And all they've done is just kept their eyes fixed on him, the author and the finisher of their faith. I heard a a quote um, during the week from a monk. So this super religious, pious, holy person, part of a a monastic community. And so like the height of religious, um, you know, walking with God. And like if, if anyone in this day and age, we look to and say, oh, they're really holy, it's them. Or who's made it with God, it's them. They're the best of the best when it comes to being faithful to God. But this is how this monk described himself. A monk is simply a sinner who joins a community of sinners who are confident, not in their ability or work or whatever, they are confident in god's mercy and who strive to recognize their weakness in the presence of each other that they would rest in the work of god their father wouldn't be that wouldn't that be a great way to describe our community a, a, a sinner among sinners who who are confident in God's mercy and strive to recognize their weakness in the presence of each other, that we might rest in the work of God our Father. We should consider ourselves a sinner, sinners, but know that we are saints. I'm a sinner, flawed, weak, vulnerable, but by the mercy of God, Jesus has made me a saint. He has made me holy. He has made me worthy for God to dwell. To finish up, I just want to read Hebrews um, chapter 12. Talk, Hebrews 11 talks about all these different heroes of the faith who have remained faithful. And then chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, not witnessing what we're doing, but witness who testify to the faithfulness of Jesus, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer or the author and the perfecter, the finisher of faith. Jesus didn't just start it, he finishes it for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If we were to learn anything from this series in the life of Solomon, it's the call to remain faithful to God. And we do that by looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have done everything necessary for us to live with you. And Lord, we just want to call out that we are vulnerable, that no, none of us are immune to, uh, to sin and to distraction and to the deception that this world and the, the devil tries and attacks us with. And Lord, we pray that we, we would listen to the voices around us and surround ourselves with voices who can speak into our lives, that we would be in the Word, that we'd set time aside to read it, to study it, to hear from you, that we'd find a community to read it with, that we'd commit to coming on a Sunday to to hear it taught, that we'd not just listen, but that we'd obey. And Lord, we pray you'd help us with our weaknesses, where we are vulnerable, where we are, where we have already failed in, Lord. Lord, none of that separates us. Sorry, none of that is too much that it undoes what Jesus has done for us. Though it does separate us from you, Jesus has done the work to bring us back once for all. And so, Lord, help us to get good at confession, at coming to you, and being open and honest about where we have failed, just like David did. Just like David did. And Lord, we acknowledge that even thinking on the week we've just had, we have sinned, all of us, without exception. There's things we've done and said and thought that wasn't to serve you, but that was to serve ourselves. We've all made sacrifices on the altar of self. And Lord, we are sorry. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus who has paid the debt of that sin and freed us from the guilt and shame and through his resurrection has made us new. That no longer are we bound by our mistakes, but we are found in the Son. Lord, remind us of that. Help us to live that out. Help us to step forward in faith, following you, following your law, following your ways. May we learn from the mistakes of Solomon. And may we we learn from the, the work of Christ. We pray we would look to him, fix our eyes on him. We thank you that again that Jesus has done everything necessary to enable us to have a relationship with you, a deep, abiding, living relationship with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples, who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.